Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hi there. I am so excited to be here today. I am bringing back my dear friend, Chris Ferraro, who also happens to be one of my favorite authors. And a little bird told me that Chris is working on a new book that's all about misfits <laughs> and trailblazers and trailblazers. Yeah. Right. And I am really excited to be having this conversation with Chris, because if you guys have listened to any of the other ep episodes with Chris, you know that she is just amazing. So Chris, without any further ado, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me back. Our conversations just feel natural and effortless. So these are never work. They're just joy. They are just joy. And it's just such a pleasure. So Chris, let's talk about your ideas. Well, a few years ago, I was preparing a talk for uh, an event called the Spring Energy Event, which the event that you and I met at mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And I w got a very clear message that all of us who have felt like misfits that the flip side of the opposite side of that coin is the archetype of the trailblazer. That everyone that is born and feels different just feels different than anyone else. That we come in with a very specific purpose, and that is to move and evolve civilization forward. Because people that are just in alignment with the status quo can't advance civilization. And so I just started ruminating on that, thinking about that, and I ended up doing one of my most powerful talks. And after I did it, I thought, oh, this is actually a book. So fast forward about six years, and I've written two books, and my editor wanted me to write a book called The Empath Handbook, and I said no. Because I said my friend Jen already wrote the best book on being an empath and I did the foreword for it. And that's not what I want to write about. And I said, you know, I could include a little chapter on that because empaths are definitely misfits in a way. And I told them about my idea and my editor said, well, that'll be book number four. And we basically agreed to disagree and kind of took a break. And then he called me two weeks later and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, I was watching TV and all of a sudden your book title just came down in front of me and it's going to be called Your Difference Is Your Strength. The next book is the book you've been wanting to write. And so I thought, oh, it's not going to be number four. It's going to be number three. And so basically, this book is a, a love letter and a manifesto for all of those who were the last picked on the team, for all of uh, those of us who didn't fit in, who got bullied, who were different in some kind of obvious or even not obvious way, that I want those, those of us to come together to recognize who we truly are, to heal all of the ways that we were ostracized, bullied, or hurt, 
and, and to empower each and every one of us to be our own unique selves because we need to create a new world on the planet at this time. And so it's a, a mission to get as many people out there to be their authentic selves and to serve from, from their true soul level who they really are. Mm, mm, Chris, there are so many things you've already said. I mean, first off, everybody who's listening, I mean, raise your hand if you knew you were different as a child, if you experienced all kinds of bullying, if you were the last one picked on the team, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just so much to this. And actually, one thought that there was two things that came to my mind as you were talking about people who are maintaining the status quo. I don't know if you ever read the book Illusions by Richard Bach. I did not. Oh, my God. I highly recommend it. It will take you like a very little bit of time because it's a tiny, little, tiny book. But there's a, there's an allegory in this book that talks about the people who sort of are are the ones who are ready to be the trailblazers. And it's talking about these people who lived underwater or this this like species that lived underwater and the currents of the water were so intense that that constantly they had to cling to rocks to get from one place to another. And when they and if they didn't cling to rocks, they would get carried away by they just sort of get carried away by the current. And so the theory or the idea in this culture was that if you didn't hold on to the rocks, you were going to, you know, smash, you know, you'd be carried away and, and smashed to your death. But at one point, one of the people in the community was like, why do we have to keep clinging to the rocks? What is mm. what is happening here? Why is this going on? And so they let go and they were lifted up by the current and they were carried in the water. And about further downstream was another village of these rock clingers. And they saw this person up ahead flying and they were like, how did you do that? And it's like, I let go. And I just think, you know, that is the thing about those of us who are different is that very frequently we have the willingness to let go of the rocks in a way that many people don't. Well, and I think that that is the way that it is intended. Yeah. I think many of us, myself included, have felt so victimized by a country, a culture, a religion, a society that didn't understand us and harmed us in many ways. And we could carry that through till the, uh, the rest of our lives. But I believe it is the incubation of the trailblazer that because I was so misunderstood, it forced me to reach into the depths of myself, to resource within myself what I needed. And it also made me develop a relationship with the divine. And, and that can mean whatever it is for anyone who's listening, you know, the, the God of your own understanding from a very early age, reaching out to speaking, to communicating with the divine was something that moved me through. And that is what led to my healing. That is what led to the revealing of myself. And out of that gifts have been birthed from within me that I did not even know that I had. Mm, mm. Well, and, you know, you were talking about, I think the thing is that when you know you're an outsider, when you know that you don't fit in and community is not meeting your needs, you have to find another source. 
And, you know, I'm so grateful that for you, it was the divine, because sadly, some people for some people, it's weed, it's alcohol, it's, you know, right, sugar, it's all kinds of shopping, or it's trying to force ourselves into a box. But I do think that a lot of times, and even that, like the journey of addiction, the journey of the journey of self-soothing ultimately leads us to this journey of recovery, this journey of healing, this journey of self-discovery. Well, absolutely. And I have to say that within my energy coaching practice, that there are many people that come in who tell me that they are depressed. They've got a diagnosis of being depressed, that they've been on and off depression medications maybe for many, many, many years. And very quickly into our working together, it becomes very clear to me that they did all of the quote unquote right things. Mm -hmm. They checked all of the right boxes. They lived the life that everyone told them they were supposed to. And now they're living someone else's life. And so the depression is the separation from their true essence and who they really truly want to be. And who hasn't, you know, made those errors? You know, I had was very convinced that I wanted to be a mother, that I wanted to be a parent, it was something I told myself over and over and over and over again. And I'm an empath and I'm a nurturer. And, you know, I knew I would be a great mother. When that didn't work out for me, if someone had told me 20 years before, listen, you're never going to have kids, I would have probably thrown myself off of a bridge. Mm -hmm. I would have been mm -hmm. like, no, this is the end all to be all um, expression of who I truly am. Now that I don't have children, it is only now that I'm recognizing this is where I'm supposed to be. My children are my books, my creative projects, a work that I am deeply in love with. And I could not have expected that. I never could have expected that. And so in this journey, we try to create over and over and over again, sometimes those things that we've either been told we want or should want, or we've been telling ourselves that we should want. Mm -hmm. And so part of this book is about people uncovering their true essence before all of the cultural conditioning and all of the messages they got about how unacceptable they are. Because we have to recognize that every single one of us needs love and safety. And when we're, we're not connected to the communities around us, our families, our churches, our schools, life does not feel safe. Right. And so it's important important that we develop a sense of safety from within us. Mm -hmm. And from that place of safety, really work on creating our own authentic tribe. Because what I find with a lot of misfits is many of us are introverts. Mm -hmm. And some of that's a natural inclination towards that. And sometimes it's simply I need to avoid other people because other people are not safe. Yes. And the truth is, is that we can do far more within community than what we can do on our own. So it's also a healing that I believe will allow people to uncover their true community, their true tribe, mm -hmm. and be able to have a deep sense of connection to others within them that they may have been missing out on for much of their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, something that keeps on coming to my mind is it, lately I've been seeing something and this is I don't know, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. 
lately I've been seeing people talking about like everybody's an empath. And I, I really think that one of the things that is in the same way that the say, saying all lives matters does not acknowledge the fact that people are different. When people start saying things like everybody's an empath or everybody has this ability, I'm like, no, everybody doesn't have this ability. And the, and, and like, I don't know about you, but like, I knew that I was different as a child and I knew that I did not get along in the same way that other children did. I could see that my behavior was different. I could see that the, my way of perceiving the world was different. I could see that, that I just did not fit. And the kids knew it too. And they yes. told me this. And I find it sometimes like interesting hearing people who are like, well, everybody has, I'm like, no, everybody doesn't have this. And to say, like, to just say everybody's equal, it, 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 there's something, it feels so invalidating and dismissive of what it is like to truly have been a misfit as a child, you know, to be part of the, you know, from, from the island of misfit toys. It's like all of us who are misfit toys knew we were misfit toys. Yes. And so... But I do find it interesting that there are certain people who I kind of wonder if they really are <laughs> were misfits because I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, no, we're not all the same. Well, I think that, you know, we are living in a time where people are questioning. Yes. And and young people, um, teens and people in their 20s, early 30s, I have found are very questioning of, say, gender mm -hmm. and sexuality yes. in a really radical way. They're saying, well, I don't have to be what everyone told me. I'm going to explore yeah. what this is for me. And so I think in that, it's become a bit trendy yes. to be different. And, I, and yet I absolutely agree with you. Not everyone is an empath. I do believe that many people are becoming more sensitive uh, more easily triggered, uh, more easily hurt and offended. But I think that's just mass nervous system dysregulation. Exactly. <laughs> okay? Exactly. And for me, I absolutely knew from my moment of conscious awareness that I was unlike everyone and everything around me. I came in with having no fear of death whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's always an interesting question when someone will say to me, well, do you think about death? Or are you afraid of that? And I think I've never even had that. And it certainly didn't come out of the religious teaching of what I grew up in. It just, I knew automatically that the other side or what we call the other side was a field of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So there was some not separation that lack of separation that happened from that piece when my soul came back into a body. Yes. I just automatically had a knowing of that's a really great place to go. And so I never have had uh, a lot of sadness around people who have passed because I know that they are going into absolute love and they're no longer bound by the body mm -hmm. and all that comes with being human and having a body. I do feel, of course, a tremendous amount of compassion for the people that are left behind. Though. Yes, yes, you know? yes. But my grieving is not about, oh, what a shame that person shouldn't have gone. I sort of just knew 
that all of that was divinely orchestrated in a way that fed that person's soul Mm -hmm. and that people could be in somewhat choice about this. And that when people complete their missions, they seem to leave their bodies and go home. So there were certain things like that that were very odd about me. And I remember picking up a National Geographic magazine. Um, Younger people might not even know what that is. But it was a magazine that we got because it was an educational magazine and they had lots of um, stories all around the world in science and space. And so I remember seeing pictures of the Milky Way Mm. and I had this feeling of who am I and who am I in all of this and who am I as this speck of grain of sand in this infinite universe? And I remember trying to talk to my parents about it. And they both looked at me like I was out of my mind. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and because they just couldn't relate. They just right. couldn't understand it. And, you know, there's people that go through their entire lives never questioning their existence, never questioning who they are in the bigger picture. So we as empaths are come in in a very unique way. And in some ways, we, we come in like coal that is surrounded by harshness and hardness that seems to cultivate us into diamonds when we can embrace our unique gifts and heal those messages that told us we were not okay. Right, right. Well, and you just said the magic words, when we can. And, you know, that is the thing that if somebody is being raised in a culture that is extremely heteronormative, that is extremely like, you know, just follow the rules, like, you know, nothing to see here, keep on moving people, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, that what can happen is we can really just sink into such incredible despair. and. And so I really and my heart just goes out to all of the people who are different, who are queer in whatever way they are queer. And I mean that in the in the broadest sense of the term, you know, that just when we are, you know, I love the I I sort of coined the term queerdo. Some (laughs) of us are queerdos. Oh, I may quote you that in the book. Yeah, I mean, you might might want to copyright that. uh, Yeah. Hey, yeah. (laughs) Trademark queerdo. Um, (laughs) But I just, you know, my heart goes out to everybody who is in a place where they are, they feel incredibly alone, where the messages that they are getting is that they are wrong, that they are broken, that they just need to suck it up, get over it, you know, stop feeling all the feelings, stop thinking this weird way, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you even thinking this? And I just and and if for some reason, you just happened upon this podcast, and you were listening to it, and you fit into that category, I just want to say, and I imagine Chris would say the same thing is that, there are, we are everywhere. You are not alone. Yes. We are, but we are not, you know, we are not minions. Like there, there, we are definitely sort of the outliers within our communities and within our culture. So, but welcome, welcome, welcome. And, you know, just please just keep on passing, keep passing the open windows if you are feeling like there's nobody here because we are here. Right. That's 100% true. It is one of the reasons why I love working with young people, 
because I see them falling into many of the same traps that I had fallen into. And I get to be the person that I didn't have and saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to sacrifice who you really are. You don't need to compromise on this. You can cultivate a deep courage within you because what I believe is our, our empathness, our uniqueness comes with all of the qualities that we need to be able to express it. I believe that the universe never gives us a, mi a mission in which we can't accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I have found along this journey in all of these places of doubts and fears where I have been traveling the road less traveled, where I'm traveling in a direction I had not expected, when I am filled with fear, that all that I have needed has shown up right on time, enabling me to do this. So no one is alone. The power that created you is within you. And it is absolutely here to help you with this mission, that you are here to do something really spectacular and great, to be in service to humanity in a way that you maybe never expected. And it doesn't need to be scary or daunting. It's simply about moving one foot in front of the other, following the trail of breadcrumbs, following the intuitive hits, following the, the little snippets of something that, that pulls you and going in that direction. And that the courage that you need, it's already there inside of you. It's like the story of the golden Buddha, right? There was some revolution that happened and there was this massive giant Buddha that was black. And in this skirmish and whatever happened, cracks appeared. And suddenly people realized that beneath the mud was the golden Buddha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was encased in this mud and it just looked like a dirty stone Buddha, but it was actually made of gold. It was priceless. All of us are the golden Buddha. And that part of us has never been hurt, harmed, or injured in any way. Our souls will move out and through these human experiences and will continue to move into growth. And it's just that we go through traumatic experiences. We are born into worlds where we're desiring love and the people around us don't know how to love us the way that we need to. No disrespect to them. They just don't know how. Right. right. And so we come into these worlds and the mud starts getting coated on our Buddha self. And so this book is so much about clearing out clearing and cleansing and getting rid of that stuff that is stuck on us so that we can be our true essence. And I feel that with all of the challenges that our world is going through and the huge amount of cataclysmic changes that are breaking up, it's the old systems. It's the old way. It's the old corruption. Because the truth is, is that corruption is a lie. So anything that is a lie energetically will eventually fall. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so what we're seeing is the fall of these massive lies mm -hmm. and these massive systems that lie and, and abuse and take our power. And so what better time than for us to be our true selves, our true essence, especially at a time when life feels really precious. I don't know about you, Jen, but COVID has changed me in some really substantially good ways. Mm -hmm. One of them is I no longer want to be around people I don't feel safe with. Okay. Yes. Another one is 
I want to enjoy every single day, even if I'm not feeling well that day, even if I get an unexpected bill in the mail, even if I didn't get as much done as I thought I was going to do, that I want to love myself and love life because all we have is now. All we have is now. All we have is now. I totally agree with you that COVID has been, I mean, one of the things for me was that COVID really gave me even more of a level of zero Fs in the sense that I'm not going to, like, I have my set of boundaries. I have what I believe and I'm not willing to people please. I mean, my father died of COVID at the very beginning of the entire pandemic. He was in the first, he was in the first 10,000 people to go in in the United States. And that was life changing for me in the sense that I was like, I don't care if there are people who believe that this is a hoax. I don't care if there are people who don't believe in masking. I don't care if there are people who are like anti-vax. And I totally get that the vaccination conversation is substantially more complicated than our culture wants to make it. They've polarized it. And so I just want to say that I think it's a question we really do need to look at. Why? What is it about the way we are immunizing people and vaccinating people that is causing some people to have such strong reactions? I think that's a very important thing, but this is not an episode about vaccinations. <laughs> but but totally for me, the experience of COVID has very much been about what matters to me and what am I going to do to quote Mary Oliver? What are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Yes. And really that. So, Chris, I want to take it sort of sideways for a moment and just say, So as we're having this conversation, I can just kind of hear a voice in my head that says, yeah, that's all good for you. You've done all the work. You're all good. You came in knowing what you were. Uh, What about like, you know, my life, my life sucks. Oh, well, let me be very clear. (laughs) I, I, I may have come in knowing that I was a unique being and feeling very confused about that. I was a highly sensitive being growing up in a highly, highly insensitive environment. I went through extreme criticism every single day of my life. To top it off, I was a fat kid when there weren't as many fat kids are there as there are now. Right. right. So I was the only fat kid, mm-hmm. the only fat kid in any of the schools that I was in. And it wouldn't even have mattered if I had been of average size. I was radiating out difference and everyone that we know is is connecting energetically with that. So I had a very challenging home life. I had three way older siblings, um, a parents that did not want another fourth child and along I came. Mm. So this was, I was not exactly welcomed people. Okay. And then I move into the school system and I was bullied from the time I was in a half day program kindergarten at age five. Mm-hmm. That was the first time somebody told me I was fat, somebody outside the family. Mm-hmm. So I was already getting those messages. And that went through all the way up until my junior year in high school. I have no idea why in senior year, everybody left me alone. I guess they figured they'd already done everything that they could possibly do to me. And to top it off, I, I became a punk rocker. I fell in love with punk rock music when I was 10 years old. When I was in eighth grade, I shaved my head. That went over really well with (laughs) mom and dad, okay? With with my, not only my very traditional old-fashioned parents, but my parents who were a generation older than all of my other friends' parents, okay? 
So, you know, my, my parents got married in 1955, people, all right? Mm, so Mine in 1957. <laughs> right. So of yeah. a different, oh, actually 59. Never mind. Go on. Yeah, but of a different generation. And so, but that, why did punk rock speak to me? First of all, I was angry as hell. Yeah. I was furious at how I'd been treated. I was furious at a world that did not understand me. I was furious that I did not want to be the the prom queen. Even then, I knew that that not only did I wasn't for me, I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly here was this movement of people who were calling themselves Johnny Rotten and embracing their true selves and allowing their fury to be known. And of course, punk rock, both in New York City and in London, were rebellions. Mm -hmm. They were rebellions Mm -hmm. against the hippies. They were rebellions against eight-minute songs with many minute drum solos your husband would be sad for me saying that <laughs> sorry but but you know there was this and and there was this rebellion of many people may not know this the term diy do it yourself is a punk rock term yes it came out of the punk rock movement so suddenly you had these kids who are like well i can't sing i don't know how to play a guitar but i'm gonna get up there and i'm going to become the rock star instead of emulating other people And so that spoke to me in such a powerful way. Now, when I was 15, I was moved from a very rural section of New Jersey to the Bible Belt of Florida. So the bullying that I experienced in New Jersey was nothing compared to the culture shock of moving into a public high school in which people prayed in the hallways Mm -hmm. and which there was a Christian club in which every kid thought that I was a demon worshiper and thought that I needed to be saved, I moved into something that was beyond my recognition. And this was way before the internet. I was in absolute culture shock and there were no punk rock kids. So now Mm. I'm a fat punk rocker arriving into the Bible belt, Mm. arriving into something that doesn't make sense to me. And I can tell you that I was thrown into lockers. I was had rumors spread about me. Every day was a living hell. Mm. So this caused severe nervous system dysregulation. Yes. I developed a very, very, very crippling anxiety condition that I did not start dismantling until I was in my early 30s. I'm shocked, Chris, that you developed an anxiety. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. What, see, why would I be afraid? Why, would, what, <laughs> what, why didn't you suck it up and stop yeah. worrying about it and get yeah, over it? Exactly. I mean, I, I had social anxiety to a point where I could not return phone calls. Oh. And I am going to be very frank. If I did not find EFT in my early 30s, I fully believe I would be an agoraphobic right now. Mm-hmm. I if have, you were alive. If I was alive. And and by the way, I have a family member that is agoraphobic, so that even runs in the family. Mm-hmm. I could have been one of those people that just was housebound. Yes. And so I have an extremely traumatic background and a, a natural bitterness that comes with a half Italian, half Irish person that I am. So there's a genetic predisposition to just beating the shit out of people. <laughs> so I have a natural anger within me. And, you know, you couple that and bring that all together. I mean, I was the ultimate victim. Yeah. And in many, many, many ways. But that golden Buddha inside of me, of my soul, kept speaking to me. 
And there was a voice inside of me in my mid twenties when I was leaving a traumatic marriage who a guy I married after I only knew him three months. Okay. So wrap your head around that. Talk about somebody making bad choices because they wanted to be loved. Yes. Okay. Yes. And out of that traumatic marriage, I went into traditional therapy, but I didn't stop there. I did everything outside of that, every spiritual healing tool practice. I went to angel healers. I went to people who put crystals on my body. I started studying shamanism and the things that really stuck, shamanism being one of them that really resonated with me. I studied for 10 years. All the work I did in that, I brought back into my therapy sessions. And then in my early 30s, I started training in EFT at the same time that I was studying to be a spiritual practitioner. So I'm going to say very honestly, who I am now has been a huge amount of work. It's been hours and hours of meditation, prayer, books, classes, um, being a spiritual practitioner. I took in-person classes for four years and had a year and a half internship. So I like to say I have a master's degree in consciousness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a real commitment, but none of it was work. Because I loved what I was doing. And it and it came from, I, I know that I can be happy. I know that I can be well. That voice, that still small voice inside of me, I followed it. But I loved going to workshops. I loved reading the books. I, I had a passion for it. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, God, I got to go to this weekend workshop. I couldn't wait to get there. Right, right. You know, so it, I believe for all of us, there is something that we can feel passionate about that will lead us to healing, to prosperity, to greater good in our lives. And, and we can enjoy it every step of the way. Young EFT practitioners will ask me stuff. Well, how is it that you know all of these people in EFT? You must have done a lot of networking. And I said, I don't even know what networking is. I just like to talk to people about the things I feel passionate about. And I end up in places where those people are. And I talk to a lot of people about the things that I love. And it happens organically. It happens organically. Yeah. Yeah. There was no... um, thought in my mind of, I'm going to sign up for this conference and go in there and I'm going to meet people that are going to help me in my career. I just went in and thought, oh my God, I'm such a fangirl, by the way. Someone would do a talk and they'd come off stage and I'd be like, oh my God, that was so amazing. Let me ask you about this. I was thinking that too. And I, you know, and I would just besiege them with fangirl appreciation. And by the way, pretty much everybody responds favorably to that. Yes, you know, yes. being appreciated for who they are. And so all of that happened organically. My life was bad. When I was in my early 20s and I was married, I was on food stamps. We, I lived in poverty for many, many years of my life. When I had a traditional job, I was a social service counselor starting out in the Newark, New Jersey welfare office, Mm. which, by the way, was like working inside of a war zone. Yes. Okay. All of my coworkers had PTSD. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. And all of our clients did, too. It was a terrifying place of which I got very little payment. And I'm not an overnight success in any way. It has taken many, many, many years And yet everything I've done and every challenge I've come across, it sounds so trite, but it has fed the journey. It's cultivated my consciousness. People feel safe with me because I have spent years 
exploring and processing my own darkness. Yes. And doing that with other people as well. Well, in learning to regulate your nervous system and having a regulated nervous system, you know, and especially for anybody who has any level of sensitivity, you can feel when somebody is dysregulated. And even if somebody is projecting that they are safe, projecting that they've got their shit together, if they are dysregulated, you can feel that. And that is not a safe feeling for any of us. And so I would say that the amount of work you have done is a very big part of why you are a safe person. A hundred percent. There are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. And I really want to draw this out in that I think that we are living in a fast fix society right now. Oh my God, yes. And especially even within the sort of transformational healing world and the coaching, there's all these people who are like, take my core, you know, spend thousands of dollars on my course and, you know, have your miraculous like healing in this one session or this other thing. And, you know, I can, uh, I can absolutely agree with you on this, that it takes time. It is incremental baby steps, one little tiny step at a time of chipping away that mud on that Buddha before we even start to see a little tiny patch of gold and discovering that there's something under there. And so I just really like I'm hoping that as people are listening to this, that they're getting a sense of inspiration and hope, but they're also getting a sense of realisticness about the fact that to really go on the journey, it is not just you sign up for the $3,000 course, you take it and your life is completely... You're complete. You're done. Done. <laughs> you know, yes, those courses and yes, those experiences and yes, those those trainings. Like, I mean, I have offered like core... I offer courses that are life-changing for people, but it's a step on the journey. It is not the end result or the end chapter. And yeah. And whether you're an empath or not, whether you have a trauma background or not, there hasn't been a person that I have come across that is doing work that they love and doing service in the work that they really, truly love, where they did not encounter daily insecurities, fears, jealousies of other people, and places where they came smack up against what they believed was possible for themselves. So that is part of the journey. And it's never a straight line. It will never be a straight line. You know, first of all, the universe doesn't work in straight lines. So there's that. But I want to share that with you, that anyone that you've ever looked up to, any author that you've ever seen, any celebrity that you've ever known has come face to face with the voice of their own inner critic, has come face to face with their own insecurities about what they think that they can do, has come face to face with professional jealousies about other people that are doing what they think that they should be doing. And and so it's imperative that we develop practices for processing that so that then we we reduce that hurdle and then we move forward and then we come against another one. We reduce that hurdle and we keep going forward. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, and Oh, just everything you are saying is just like just ringing bells. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. And I love, you know, the whole thing of we can't 
Um, you know, like we make these assumptions about somebody's success and what they have had, you know, what they didn't have to go through. Yes. <laughs> and um, like I remember reading uh, a book by so Shakti Gawain wrote her first book was Creative Visualization. And it was life changing for me. Amazing. It was amazing book. And I sort of put her on a pedestal and imagined like this was somebody who had her shit together. I was, when I first read, I can't remember who was living in the light or what her, but there was a book she had written that was more autobiographical where she was talking about the fact that she was cleaning houses for a living the entire time that she was writing creative visualization. Mm. And at the time I was really bummed out. I was like disappointed that my hero was a housekeeper, but Later, I have come to be incredibly grateful for that information because we assume things about what people have had to go through or that they had an easier road than we did when the truth is that it's like there's that saying overnight, you know, overnight sensation in 10 years or overnight sensation in 20 years. We do not know the years of work that generally happens before somebody gets to that place. I also love that you were talking about how, you know, as we go for these things and as we say yes to the Buddha within us and we say yes to the gold within us, the diamonds that are inside of us, that our stuff will come up and that that's something, too. I think it's like just because you're on the journey doesn't mean that you aren't still dealing with stuff. I was working with somebody just a couple weeks ago who was, you know, from from the outside perspective, fabulously successful, like multiple six-figure business, um, very popular uh, in, you know, an entertainer out in the world has had the opportunity, many amazing opportunities. Like if you heard their story, you'd be like, oh my God, they've got it all set. Oh, they've got the dream life. They've got the dream life. They are still dealing with their fear of invisibility. They are still dealing with the self-doubt. They are still coming up against the places where the work is like where the stuff is still coming up. And you were talking about jealousy. I mean, I was having a conversation with you last night, just going, I feel so left You know? Oh, Jen, I've been there so many times. So many times. Oh my. First of all, jealousy was something that yeah. ruled my life for probably the first 30 years. And it was Oh my God, it was the most painful emotion yes, for me. It is so painful. It is so painful and so debilitating because what jealousy says is that person has something I want or yeah. they are someone who I would want to be and I cannot have or be that. Right. That's what it, it they have it. I don't. They have it. I'll never be able to have it. And, and so it's something I've worked a lot on and yet it still comes up. I'll see. And, and somebody who is a friend, a colleague who's got some amazing opportunity comes up and there are times when that is there. But as I tap through that jealousy, automatically what comes up is gratitude, gratitude for the grateful for them, grateful for the things that are unfolding in their lives. And a little voice that says, Maybe I can have something like that, too. Right. If they can do it, then maybe I then can maybe do it, too. maybe I can do it. Well, and, you know, I think as you're talking about jealousy, it strikes me. My, one of my mentors, Joanna Hunter, talks about the idea of source and void and sort of like the universe is basically made of source. But we're sort of in this, you know, coming into incarnating into these bodies. We are part of the lesson is recognizing that void is an illusion. 
But, you know, the idea of void, another term for it could be scarcity. It's like when we are buying into the idea of scarcity, which I think sadly, the status quo, so many of the choices that people are making are based on the idea that there isn't enough to go around, that there are that and that there is this sort of these set of rules that are designed to conserve our resources because, you know, we've got scarcity here, folks. And on the on this earth plane, yes, there can be limitation. Yes, there can be lack. But I think that as we start to break out of that scarcity mentality, you can break away from jealousy, which is a total scarcity emotion. 100%. To yeah. gratitude, which is an abundance and expansive, a source emotion, and start to be like, oh, this is their experience. This is my experience. You know, and I want to go back to something you were saying really earlier about the idea of you thought you were going to be a mother. You thought this, you thought that you had this plan for yourself. And what I will say is I, I have come to really appreciate all of the near misses, all of the failures, all of the, especially the relationships that I was heartbroken when they ended that I am like, thank you. God, I did not go down that (laughs) rabbit hole because I think that so often our human ego limits what's possible for us. And so frequently what we thought we wanted, as you were saying, you thought you wanted to be a mom, you thought you wanted these things. Well, I thought that that was going to be the ultimate experience of love. Right. Because of course we're told that and we, and the, the mother fantasy is something that's in all of our popular culture. Mm. And I was this love starved child. Yes. So I thought, Oh, well I want to have the ultimate experience of love. And that's going to happen when I have a child. What what I can share with you. And I'm sure, yes, that there is that unconditional love. I, I know many, many parents And they talk about that great love. But I have experienced love of the divine. Mm -hmm. Love that is without ego. Love that is universal. Always giving. Luxurious. All providing. That has shown me that there is more than enough. And that love is within us and all around us. And available for every single one of us. Single or married. Childless or with children. That the outside doesn't change the inside, that we need to come from the inside out, cultivating safety within, then experiencing that outside of us, cultivating love within, then experiencing that outside of us. And so it's a very different way of looking at it. And and I want to circle back to something that you said about the very successful person. I have uh, clients that are single moms that are part-time cashiers all the way up to multimillionaires and everything in between. I have worked with people who have everything that you could ever think that you could want. They're attractive. They're healthy. They're in great shape. They have a wonderful, beautiful spouse. They live in an incredible home. They've traveled all over the world. They have kids. They have great jobs. They have opportunities. Everything that you could hope for. And they are still in pain Mm -hmm. about themselves. They're still hustling constantly, trying to get more, more, more. But the more never satisfies that void within them. And so I really, truly get it in a way that I never have before. The only success in life is how you feel, how you feel about yourself, 
how you feel about life, what, how you go about experiences during the day. I could have a blissed out adventure in my supermarket and there's other people that are, you know, traveling around Paris and they don't even get to feel any of that. Well, and I had, I, I think I've told you this story and um, I will not tell people who I'm talking about so that their anonymity or sort of their, the, the, in, the guilty will, re, you know, shall, shall remain <laughs> nameless. But I had an experience many years ago where I was traveling um, with a companion and we went to these hot springs that are, or actually they're warm mineral springs in the middle of nowhere, Florida. And this place is actually believed to be the um, what people believe might have been Ponce de Leon's like fountain of fountain of youth. And this place is amazing. It's this vortex where it's like the very center of this warm mineral spring is like it goes down so far. You have no idea how far down it goes. And the energy is just this spectacular vortex. And so you kind of find yourself just kind of spinning around the outside of this pool. And it's this huge, natural, you know, fairly large, not massive, but fairly large pond slash waterhole and people come from all over the place it was when when we were there it was just like filled with a whole bunch of ukrainians and russians and i love the sound of russian and ukrainian and just the the sounds of 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 voices like just people speaking and in, in speaking in their mother tongue was just heavenly but at this place the water is just perfect temperature but it smells sulfury. And so the whole place sort of smells kind of like a baby's diaper. And <laughs> I, I get there and I am in bliss. I get a massage. I have this incredible experience with the massage therapist. I get after the massage, we go, I go into the water. It's like the water is just divine. The energy is amazing. The sound of all of these people speaking in Russian and, you know, and the Ukrainian dialogue dialect. I'm just like in heaven because I remember this language from other lives. And I just, there's something about that. The mother tongue that just soothes my soul. I am beyond just ecstatically blissed out. And my companion has just had the worst massage ever. The massage therapist <laughs> would not shut up the entire time, talked nonstop about uh, their own torture. problems. I agree with that person. That's torture. Yeah, that is torture. <laughs> I would, that is absolutely, that is, that is truly hell. Um, and then the smell, the smell was making them so uncomfortable. And the sound of the people speaking, speaking in this other language, but particularly the sound of Russian was making them incredibly uncomfortable. They were miserable. And I saw so clearly in this experience how our attitude and mindset was completely dictating the way we were experiencing this. Like every single, other than the massage therapists, which, which I got a much better massage. <laughs> but other than the massage therapist, Every other factor was identical and I was in heaven and they were in hell. And for me, that was one of those moments where I could really see 
my attitude is pretty much everything. It's what's going to make the difference. Absolutely. I mean, that's right. You're right. Having an identical experience. You're right. Except for the, the chain except the for mas- the massage therapist. And, and we might want to ask why, why did you get the massage therapist that you got? And why did that person get the massage therapist that they got? Right. Okay. We, we could think it's coincidence, but what we know about energy is that what we are emitting is being met by the environment, that we are silently communicating who we are, how we are feeling. And that person may have already been, this place smells like crap. I don't like this. Yeah. And so they, they got a massage therapist that uh, resonated with the frequency that they were operating on. Just putting that out Just there. Just putting it out there. Well, and... Um, you know, they were already in such a contracted state, just they were being they were being stretched outside of their comfort zone to go to this place. They're uh, not necessarily as a, as a water person. Ad- well, no, more that they're just not as adventurous about things that are kind of outside of what excites them. Uh, and I, on the other hand, tend to be like, let's go on a pilgrimage and see this thing. Right. So they were already a little bit contracted, but absolutely the smell of the sulfur just made them beside themselves. They were miserable. And I, for some reason, I was just like, yeah, smells like rotten eggs. Big deal. I mean, I just was so joyful and experienced such a, just, it was so delightful, you know, but, but we really can have totally different experiences. Well, and even, I mean, an extreme example of this is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for, Man's Search right. for Meaning. Absolutely. This Classic. is a person who was in the concentration camps and who was, and who found himself finding meaning by offering kindness. I mean, talk about a trailblazer. You know, this is a place where so many people could be completely contracted in distress and fear. And he picked up the gauntlet and was like, I'm going to be of service. And, you know, I, I heard he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And I think I, I don't know if it was like six hour, like, or seven days, but it was like, in no time, like, Oh, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, no, he just He it sat just down and him. he downloaded it. He and, downloaded and, it. And he, you know, well, typed it out. Right and, out. And, and, yeah. and on a typewriter. Because <laughs> at that time, there were yeah, no computers. Or maybe he right. freehanded it. Oh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe he did it freehand. So look yeah. at that. Yeah. But just, uh, so I just really want to reinforce. And that's, you know, that is something that I'm really grasping is that it's like we cannot control the outside circumstances. There are a lot more, I mean, we can in the sense that our, our vibration and what we are resonating to, I get the better massage therapist because I go in with more joy, but there is a certain thing where there's certain things that are just, it is what it is, but how we feel about it, what we cultivate in terms of our own emotions is what's going to make all the difference in the world. And, and that on the misfit trailblazer journey is extremely, extremely important because so often the outside world has said, you are not okay. I recently watched Lizzo's uh, Watch Out for the Big Girls show. Not usually a reality TV kind of gal, but so many people had said, you need to watch this, you need to watch this, you need to watch this. And so it's a it's a, you know, a reality show competition, but she turns it on its head because it's not a competition. All of the big girl dancers that come can get a spot on her tour as one of her dancers if they make the cut. 
And then someone makes a mistake and everybody rallies around them to help them. Someone's not getting the routine. Some of the other girls gather together and they practice it till that person gets it down pat. But what was so incredible is Lizzo takes them through a bunch of experiences with different practitioners because she said, you can't fake it. You really do have to love yourself. If you're up there on that stage with me, you have to love yourself. And she said, it's not easy to love yourself in a world that doesn't love you back. Mm. And I Mm. burst into tears because we've all the misfits of the world have had that experience. And what I can tell you is just like Lizzo, we can rise up and claim our self-love and claim our identity and say, I have a right to be who I am and to be here. Yeah. And when we do that, mountains move. She is a perfect example. I mean, she is an absolute multi-million dollar superstar and she is rocking it. Okay. So we can all do that for ourselves, but it took courage within her for her to say, because I'm sure in the the music industry, particularly the music that she does, that people were like, you can't do that. You're a fat chick. We don't want fat chicks doing that. We want everybody to look like Beyonce. Right. Right. And so there are examples all around us. And I want each and every one of us who's listening to this to recognize your value and your worth, not something because I'm saying it to you, because there's a part of you inside of you that already knows it. Yes, yes, yes. And I I just, Lizzo, mad props to Lizzo. And just, you know, I love the fact that too, she is unashamedly claiming her sexuality in a world that is so incredibly constrained and rigid about what women are allowed to claim. And the whole thing of like, you know, fat girls not allowed to be sexual, like oh, so much, you stuff. know, it's one of the things that I worked on when I was in my twenties, you yeah. know, I became a plus size burlesque dancer in my late twenties. And it wasn't, it wasn't even nudity involved. I would, you know, strip down to underwear and a bra. But the point of it was, I don't want to be asexualized by a world that's telling me that's who I am. And it wasn't my experience. It wasn't true. Yes. I had, there were many men that were attracted to me that continue to be attracted to me there. It was a lie that we were all being sold that if you are larger than average, a little bit or a lot, that you are unlovable, unsexy, undesirable. And it was, and I proved it to myself and everyone else that wasn't true. Mm. So that's what was so cool about watching this happen because I was doing dance, but I didn't want to tell anybody that I was a plus size burlesque dancer because I knew they'd take one look at me and be like, you, you, you're a dancer. And she's got a whole troop of large and lovely women that are dancing their butts off Mm -hmm. with passion, with grace. It's incredible. Mm, mm, mm. Chris, I cannot believe how fast this hour has gone. It's like we have just whizzed through this conversation and it has been such a good conversation. I mean, as always, there's it's a guarantee when you and I come together and have a conversation, it's going to be a good one. So uh, with this last you know, few moments that we've got with this podcast, I'm wondering, what would you say, like, if you were going to give people one piece of advice about where to start? Like if you are, if somebody is feeling lost and alone, and like nobody gets them, 
What one piece of advice would you give? I would say to journal. Journal about the pain. Journal about the things that weren't working. Journal about the injustices that you've experienced. And then journal where you want to go. Then journal because we want to clean up, right? We want to clean up the pain first to create spaciousness within us. Then I want you to journal the things that you love. Journal about the people that inspire you. Journal about your goals and your dreams and where you want to go and who you want to be. And, and, and if you're not someone who necessarily enjoys writing, you can do it with, um, the audio on your phone. So if you're more of an auditory person, you can do it that way. So I would start because it helps us to get clear, clear about what we need to clean up and clear about where we want to go. And there's a lot of power in writing stuff down. It's like we're making declarations to the universe of this is what I'm healing and this is where I want to go. Mm. Oh, Chris, thank you so much. And obviously, Chris and I are both big fans of EFT. So once you've done some journaling and you realize what stuff needs to get cleared, come tap. 100%, yes. Come tap. So Chris, how can people get in touch with you? Anyone can get in touch with me through my website. It's chrisferraro.com. That's K-R-I-S-F-E-R-R-A-R-O.com. Uh, you can find me also on social media. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter that much, but you could find me there too. Uh, reach out, connect, uh, get on my newsletter list uh, or connect through social media and you'll see what I'm up to. Perfect. 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 And there will be links for Chris in the show notes. Chris, thank you so much for an amazing conversation. This was just fantastic. Thank you so much for always loving and supporting me and believing in me when I don't believe in myself. This is what having a tribe of like-minded sisters and brothers in love looks like. Mm-hmm. This is where we're doing it. We're demonstrating it for you right here and right now. Exactly. So thank you for being a part of my soul tribe and someone who loves and supports me and is there for me no matter what. Oh. I know that I can turn to you and, and that's just such a gift. And oh. then you get to share this with me. I you know. It's just so cool. It's so good. Oh, Chris. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys. That's it. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.